0: These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old.
1: Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer.
0: This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema a to b Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Cinema A2B, a to ba movie conversation podcast with me, Alec, and with Ben. Today, we're trying something new. Well, not truly new, but we're doing a surprise for Ben. I have picked a movie and he has no idea what we're going to be talking about, which is fantastic. So he has seen this movie. I know for certain he has seen this movie, but he's just going to have to remember and talk about it. And I know what I'm talking about, which is great because I picked it. But here you go, Ben. So today we are going to talk about the 1995 film, The Usual Suspects. Ooh, nice choice. Yes. So. Yes, very nice. This movie was in my top five movies for a very long time. Um, it has moved him into my top 10, I believe, maybe top 15. But it's been there for a while. So I know you've seen it. You and I have already talked about this movie multiple times throughout our friendship. So tell me again. What are, what are your thoughts? This is one of the greatest
1: first viewing movies there is. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's structurally, and if you've seen it, you know why that is. We will play spoiler because this, this, is, yeah. this is old enough. Enough times elapsed. So, yeah, it is. It's one of the best first viewing um, movies because of the twist. Now, it's gotten criticized because of the twist, which I don't think is fair, mm-hmm. um, that it's just a total, you know, basically the movie's a total waste of time because, because <laughs> it's like it's all made up. <laughs> well, can, yeah, I think it's brilliant you know, there's a couple of things with this movie that have going against it. Um, Kevin Spacey's legal woes have kind of probably left a little bit of a stain on this as well as, yeah. as well as the director, Brian Singer with his own <laughs> issues. And, yeah, but is I'm not, not going to operate that right. way. Um, I don't, I try to separate the art from the artist and that's my attempt with this movie. This movie's fantastic. It just isn't because it all relies so heavily on the twist. The repeat viewings just aren't as, as impactful. And mm-hmm. that goes with a lot of movies with, with really big twist. This thing is a wild ride from start to finish and it checks every box you could possibly want. And it's proof positive that the nineties were a fantastic decade for cinema.
0: I, Absolutely love this movie, very much. I remember when I watched it the first time. This was one of the few movies where I got the correct answer about halfway through of who, you know, like it dawned on me of who it should be, and then like the next, like before we get to the finish, like the movie gets me to change my answer and makes me believe something else, and then drops it on me. I was like, no. Like very few times have movies, not that I'm all that smart, but very few. Sometimes I can see things coming. This one made me change my mind. And I was I was it, one of the things I loved about it. So um, I do also love I mean, so you, t- you talked about it. It's definitely the unreliable narrator. So much like movies like Amadeus, where you're getting all the story from Salieri, like. All what you've just heard or just watched is probably trash or has been, you know, has maybe some truth to it, but you don't know. But I see that didn't bother me as much. I like I loved the story and I loved kind of the reveal of where all this came in. But with me, it it, there's a lot of things that I really like that they did in this film and kind of going back to what we talked about previously, especially with Nolan, about how he leaves in sometimes mistakes and he gets creativity based off of this. This actually has one of my favorite kind of talking moments of acting or character creation or of how to bond the, uh, the audience with characters is the lineup really early on when you get all these characters in that's that shot took like 18 hours or something. It was like super long and the, the cast was just messing up and singer was just pissed. He was so mad that this was happening. I mean, I think they were like, Del Toro was like farting most of the time through it It was was making the other guys laugh. And so it just (laughs) became bad, but it, it turned out that in the editing bay, I guess, or whatever singer was like, no, this actually works because what happens in that until they get into that scene, you don't really have any connection. Like I know as me as an audience member, I really didn't have a connection. I didn't really care about any of these guys. They're all criminals, but the moment you get them in and they start, laughing and bonding you start laughing with them because it's funny that's when you latch onto the crew and that's when they become the protagonists of the story that's when you're just like okay let's follow these people and i just like i just love like just the acting behind it or the creativity behind it of like taking basically the rejects like shots of the mistakes of the laughing that he that singer didn't really want and realize, oh this is actually how it works. This is this is good. This is going to draw in the audience and then from there on it's just it's just great. Oh man, there's just there's so many little little things about this movie that I really really enjoy.
1: The cast even feels a little bit unconventional even for 1995. Mm-hmm. I'd say by 95 standards, you have know, the best known Are Kevin Spacey and Gabriel Byrne, but even then they're not like this is not this is not A-list no. talent headlining this movie really. No. Um and but it just works. And it is it is one of the great ensemble pieces cuz you go back through and it's just this who's who of like great actors. The other thing with this movie is 95 I just love the way this movie's lit. Mm-hmm. Like I I think we've talked about this before. I just I love this whole style. This is not a digitally color corrected film. This is just various 35 millimeter film stocks um, with a very traditional method of, of chemical color timing, not unlike the way that Tarantino and Nolan um, still color time their films. And so it has that Mm -hmm. very distinct look and it's, it's a timeless look. Like this movie doesn't ever get muddy, like where it's a muddy, dark image, the way they do, you know, night sequences. I really like because everybody's got some rim lighting on them and there's good contrast, but it still feels like night. This is like classic Hollywood lighting with Mm -hmm. really clean, you know, mid 90s film stocks from Kodak. I think this is like a Kodak movie. I can tell. And if people want to know how I can tell if it was Fuji film, it would have like a hair of a blue green tint to it, which is really nice. Um, Fuji's got its own cool thing. This is, this is Kodak stock. This is kind of peak. This is right in the tail end of like until Christopher Nolan came around and Nolan or not Nolan, no uh, Tarantino. But this was like yeah. the tail end of like the classic way that you exposed for and, created the look of a movie. So if there's col- if there's colorized lighting in it, it's cause the lights are actually set up that way. They and yeah, everything on the boat, you know, they're, it's just, it's a beautiful movie and mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't understand why a lot of films don't look like this anymore.
0: So it's, it's not film noir. It's close, but yeah, that, well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, it definitely kind of is, and it's not even like, you know, you know, neo film noir or whatever, but it has that kind of feel to it without getting into a lot of the tropes. But I mean that I was reading about it and was talking about uh, singer really tried to channel like double indemnity um, when he was film when he was making this movie. So you kind of get that feeling of all the trappings of a film noir without it actually being a true film noir. So, I mean, you could say it's maybe somewhat closer to like, Chinatown, that kind of film noir feeling, as opposed to like a typical double, double indemnity. But throwing out the fact that Kevin Spacey is kind of persona non grata now and, you know, did terrible things. stuff, But he's fantastic in this movie. Like, I mean, because he's a fantastic actor. So, like, it's 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 hard for me, like, to throw that away because there's so many movies that I love that he's in that I really appreciate this being one of them and where it's like. Like, yeah, it's tainted now, but like, I can appreciate it as this vehicle of this movie sans like him playing verbal, you know, him playing this character. Take everything else out. He's great. And like, but again, like you said, Gabriel Byrne is fantastic. And you even have Gene Carlo Esposito in it yeah. playing, you know, a an agent like a little like he has some of these great actors who become go on to do bigger and better things. And it's just stocked full of people. It's great. So. And I love the fact that Del Toro totally did the mumbling thing on his own and Singer hated it as well. <laughs> and he even said, like in interviews, he talked about the fact he goes, The whole purpose of my character, if you read the script, is to make Kaiser Sose scary. He goes, So everything I say or do outside of like the monologue about Kaiser Sose or whatever is worthless. He's like, I'm only here as a vehicle to make Kaiser Sose scary. So all my other lines. Dumb. And so he just said, this character mumbles or, you know, does this little weird thing. And Singer hated it, apparently. Hated it. Oh, so, it's, it's genius, though. As much as Singer hated it, I, you know, problems with Singer himself as well. But as a director, to allow your actors to still kind of go with that and, and to realize that maybe they can bring something that you didn't think of that actually makes the film better. Because this is his first big budget film. He had only done, you know, Singer had only done what a movie called Public Access before um which i think was how he pulled a couple um couple different stuff but with Christopher McQuarr- McQuarrie who wrote this mm-hmm. um the two of them did that and just like what a way to take a chance and to make a great film i mean the thing won what two oscars so it's ridiculous
1: it is ridiculous, ridiculous. and the the script is is tremendous I do want to talk about the screenwriter a little bit uh, with McQuarrie. Cause he, he's kind of mm. kind of a, a little bit of a journeyman's um, path through Hollywood where he, he achieved real early success as a writer with this. Um, and then he did the way of the gun. He mm. wrote and directed it, which, with your, which I really like that movie a lot, but it wasn't for whatever reason, it wasn't well received. It's, um, it's got kind of a cult status now. And I, I think Way of the Gun has got the second best shootout in a movie behind Heat. It's a it's a more of a handgun, shotgun battle, but that movie's really, really, really cool. And he then he kind of drops off the map for a while and gets his career kind of resurrected um with Cruz because he wrote Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. And which I believe Singer did as well, directed Valkyrie. Yes, he did. Um, but then he writes, you know, he writes the screenplay for Edge of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. which is tremendous. And then he starts, mm-hmm. after that is when he starts getting the the Mission Impossible gig, um, both yeah. as a, as a cru- writer and a director. And he's yeah. basically kept that train running. It's like, why am I going to mess up a good thing? <laughs> I'm working with arguably one of the biggest movie stars in the world. And with a, with now a franchise that rivals James Bond, mm-hmm. let's just keep, let's just keep this going. So yeah. he's, um, and he's back on top and justifiably yeah. so. Cause yeah, this script for usual suspects is
0: mind blowing. And literally just came from an idea of, of, I think, Singer or was t- talking about, I just saying like, it's a bunch, it's about a bunch of convicts who meet each other up in a lineup. And like, that's it. That was the, like the, the, the storyline was like this. And then the rest is history. And it's, and it's fun too, because even the actors sometimes don't know who, who the real Kaiser Soze is. Like Gabriel Burns said, it wasn't until he actually watched the movie. He thought he was actually Kaiser Soze. So apparently like, like Singer actually, kind of told all the actors, or at least this was what I've, what I've read, but basically kind of told each of the actors that they were actually Kaiser Soze Mm. when they're like, and then didn't tell anyone like they weren't or whatever. So they all kind of played it as like, Oh, they were this kind of behind the scenes guy. And then obviously, you you know, you get it at the end, which makes everything so much better. I do. I do really enjoy this film. Just thinking about it. It's a good
1: one. It's not in my top 10. I kind of hold it against movies when they're not as rewatchable as I want them to be. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's probably fair, but in my own favorites list, I don't have a whole lot of stuff that I can't like go back to again and again and again. And I'll, I'll rewatch this, but it just isn't, it's just never going to be what it was the first time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that first viewing just always is a mind blower. Yeah. And the nineties had a bunch of these, right? Cause they had this and then they had the game with Michael Douglas, yeah. which is just a mind bender. <laughs> um, tremendous movie. And we, we should, we'll discuss the game at some point. Yeah. Um, along with a lot of David Fincher's catalog,
0: but it, yeah, well, you also have fight club. Yeah. As well. nineties,
1: fight club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, there was, it was like a decade of, of the big twist and everybody, it felt like mm-hmm. everybody was trying to top themselves, but this was one of, this was like the first one. No, I'd call this kind of the OG twist movie of the nine of, mm-hmm. a, of the nineties anyway
0: definitely one of my favorite ones too because how they play it off at the end because it pretty much like you don't get a whole lot of time to process it before the movie ends whereas with most of the others you have the big reveal and then you have a lot of time to kind of wrap things up where this movie is like okay big reveal boom movies are done mm-hmm. yeah. you know and it ends on such like i love the line that it ends with you know and just the quick snap and then cut the black like that's just a Perfect way to end the film because it's just like oh, and he's gone.
1: Yeah, McQuarrie did win. You're right; it won two Oscars, and McQuarrie did win. um, Yeah, best
0: and Kevin Spacey won won for
1: best um, screenplay, and then yeah, he won best supporting. So it it was uh, acknowledged, and it I think box office wise, it did well.
0: Let's see it. So the budget was only six million. The box office was sixty seven. The budget was six million dollars. Yeah, that's well. At least that's what uh, what I'm reading. Hollywood accounting, you know. Yeah,
1: (laughs) is not to because obviously that's trusted.
0: No, because the marketing budget's not in there. It never is. But, but, but again, like we said, most of the actors are not big actors. I mean, again, Gabriel Byrne was still he wasn't huge. Neither was Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey was still playing second fiddle to most people. I mean, there's a reason why he's supporting actor in this. I mean, because right around this time was the negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson, but that was definitely much more of a Samuel L. Jackson vehicle with, you know, Kevin Spacey, you know, playing it up. I will have to say, the even the action sequences in this film are are done really well. Like that, the I think you you talked about it a little bit, but the the boat sequence is just just well shot well thought out, well planned. Like it feels dangerous and feels really fast paced, even though it really is not like it's not, it doesn't seem that way. Like the actual shot selection, cause you don't see a whole lot of it going on, but yet it feels so like tense that entire time. Yeah. There's a
1: Hitchcockian element to this movie with the things that occur either off screen or heavily obscured by shadow, but the the movie does an exquisite job of building tension and suspense. I think suspense is the number one goal of cinema Mm -hmm. because it, it can cross any genre. It doesn't matter the genre. You can always, you should always be building suspense and trying to keep the audience guessing. And this movie does it better than about 99% (laughs) of what's out there at building suspense. It feels like a movie. Like you said, it's, what year was Double Indemnity? Is it like in the 50s or 40s or something like that?
0: Yeah, it was the
1: the late 40s. So yeah, I that's think? and that's exactly what this mu- movie feels like. This 44. F- what year?
0: Mm-hmm. 44. So this
1: yeah, this feels like a 40s or 50s movie with 90s pacing and sensibilities. Mm-hmm. It treads that line well because it is yeah. even by today's standards this movie's pacing is not like a Dreadfully slow. Like it move it moves quick. It moves quick and it's not got a long runtime. Hour and 46 minutes. You know, it it's very taut. There's no wasted moments or wasted frames. By the way, interesting aside, this movie was actually edited on film as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. So that editor, well yeah, done. Well done. The, That's not This fun.
1: was kind of that last gasp of when some stubborn editors were like, I don't want to electronically edit a movie, even if it was shot on film. So yeah, that John Ottman, he, he just had it in him that, that anything edited electronically was terrible because the best editors were still cutting film cutting. If it, but Good but he'd been him. doing that. I mean, that's a guy that'd been doing it his entire career. So for him, it's the way it's done. Yeah, I guess that's now. I would be just like, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like, this is the dumbest. Well, way to if edit a I film. if
1: I had gone into film school like four or five years earlier, I think I would have been asked to at least do some rough editing on with with actual 16 millimeter film, which I think would have been a cool experience. I think there's mm-hmm. value in actually splicing and, you know, but yeah, interesting little, little tidbit. And this has got to be one yeah. of the last Hollywood movies actually edited on film. Cause even, even Nolan doesn't edit his movies on film. Like you think he would with his obsession with the format, but even he is like going to notice it's, it's just easier to scan everything in and and then and then create the edit list um, electronically. Yeah. But yeah, pretty wild. Pretty wild.
0: It's a fun kind of heist movie kind of thing. Like, you get that vibe from it. I do love the fact that uh, Kevin Spacey's care, uh, character Verbal it talks about, like, he, whoever did the job or whoever is guilty – is the one resting or not like, like when they're in jail, just is kind of just sitting there laying down, getting, getting a nap because he's like, well, you know, this is probably a good time. And Kevin Pollock's character is laying down that entire scene. And he's the one who, you know, took, took the trucks. And it's like, it just kind of that those fun little moments, those fun little, like, like, Oh, Hey, they don't actually call to it, but they kind you know, they reference it a little bit. So it's, it's fun.
1: It is, it's a classic, it's got a classic sound, soundtrack to it, score, mm-hmm. um, orchestral, it's it's timeless. Like, this movie's going to continue to age very well, like a fine wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really, it really will. There, this'll be in, in best of list in another 25 years. So.
0: Yeah. Well, and I like the fact that it, it hits characters who are smart against each other, like, because the the agent that um, Chaz plays is not a dumb character. It's not like like he's a dumb cop. Like he is an actual a smart detective who or a smart agent, I guess, who just has it out for Gabriel Byrne's character and just can't see past it. Really wants it to be true, and so makes it all work, and so doesn't see the signs. But my goodness, Kuyan, Agent yeah. Kuyan, Agent Kuyan, oh. who
1: just gets. Absolutely played like a freaking fiddle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This coffee's crap. I like the coffee when I was with shucking beans in Guatemala. (laughs) Like just like all the little things. I mean, and so I was talking with Laura about it too, and she was just like, she really likes the shot selection. Where you can kind of, if you really pay attention, you can kind of see these things before they happen, like on the on the bulletin board. So, like Singer does take that chance. Like, hey, if you really actually pay a lot attention. Um, you can you can pick up Absolutely. that line and making this stuff on the on the, the spot. So I do. And another going back to mistakes make creativity. So in this, the when Red and McManus or they're all talking about the diamond or the Emerald heist or whatever, and they meet out uh, in L.A. with Red um, and he flicks the cigarette. at oh, yeah. Stephen Baldwin's character, <laughs> <Yeah>. McManus. <laughs> Um, it was supposed to like hit him in the, hit him in the cheek or in the face or in the chest or whatever, but it hits him in the eye instead. Yes. And so, like that is a hundred percent Stephen Bowen reacting to getting a lit cigarette flicked into his eye. And and of course, Singer was like, "Done, print it. That's what we're going to go with." <laughs> so, sometimes those mistakes make comedy gold or film gold.
1: Film is so cool because some of the best stuff is just ends up by happenstance. But the the thing is, you've got to create the room for that to happen. Hmm. You know, this the script is great, but it's 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 a road map. And but some you have to allow for great moments and Hmm. you cast the right actors and you'll get you'll get those great moments.
0: And that's why you should have your writer writers on set as well to help kind of, you know, guide stuff. along. Good luck with that right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good luck having actors yeah. on set too. Unless you're A twenty four. Apparently they made their own little deal with Sam Or if you're in the WTA. or if you're in the British Union. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, this was this was recorded during the dual strike. <laughs>
0: yeah. Unprecedented times. It
1: is. It is. But there's a back catalog there, folks. Just because they're not making any new stuff doesn't mean you can't go back and watch some greatness. And today's yep greatness is uh the usual suspects.
0: I think that wraps us up for that. I think so too. I think we're good. Yeah. Good flick. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. If you're listening to us, especially on Apple Podcasts, go ahead leave us a review. Really would appreciate that. But we really thank you for listening to us. Thanks for hearing us as we just kind of meander about movies that we enjoy and that we've seen. So, Ben, thanks buddy. I appreciate you doing this little uh That was a great secret. yeah, that was a great selection.
1: Yeah. Great great film.
0: Yeah. Great film. Gonna have to watch it so. here here again soon. Same, same. Well, thanks everybody. Take care. See you next week.